Welcome back to the Booked and Boozy podcast. It is your girl, Jada. And Brooke. And today we are bringing you part two of Ember in the Ashes. If you have already listened to our part one, you will probably recognize that this is a little bit different of a vibe for us, but honestly, I'm really enjoying covering this book so far. Me too. We're definitely not trying to hit like the top tier boozy scale as we normally are trying to. This is a little bit more of a serious book. And so Jada, if you want to remind the people of what you're drinking and your boozy scale. I am drinking Jack Daniels Southern Peach. It's pretty good. However, it is on the lower spectrum of the boozy scale. I am probably about a three right now. I tried to say that I was one, but I was turning my drinks upside down, trying to show Brooke like a way I wanted to mix the actual Jack Daniels Southern Peach. So apparently I'm a little higher than I thought. (laughs) What are you drinking? I am drinking Franzia boxed wine um, Chardonnay, which is about 12%. I haven't had a whole lot. So I am also at about a three. So jumping in, we are still doing the same vibe. I am going to be reading Elias's part and Brooke is going to be reading Elias's part. It is my turn to start off. So Elias realizes that he still has the blood root in can I fucking talk? Okay. Elias realizes that he still has the blood root in his pocket. And he says to himself, you told Laya you'd take it to her, Elias, days ago. I mean, homeboy's been out. If you don't remember from our previous episode, we kind of ended on Elias and Helene in their second challenge. And basically they got their asses beat to smithereens And he ended up falling because those little demon dune thingies, they cut the rope and he he went smash, smash, smash. He heads to bring it to her, but comes upon her and Izzy talking. He realizes that she's not who he thought she was. I honestly was like, wow, they really suck at this. I was like, he finds out this fast? I thought it was going to be like one of the ending scenes where he finds out that she was like being a spy. Apparently not. We're not going in the direction and I'm I'm thankful for it, but still. (laughs) Of course, motherfucking Helene. She back, okay? She in the shadows, stalking his ass. She's like, wow, you slave banger. I saw how you looked at her. I'm turning her in for treason. I'm like, wow, that's petty as fuck. I mean, apparently from her mindset, that's like all she knows. And like the guy that she's in love with, like she knows that he's in love with, in her eyes, a slave, basically a nobody. And like, hopefully, Helene, I'm holding out for you, BB. I hope you change. (laughs) But are you though? Are you though? That's not the vibe you had in the last episode. Change or die. And (laughs) stay out of my ship. (laughs) Stay out of my ship. You're not invited. So he fires back. No, you won't. You sleep demon healing witch. That's exactly what he said. And she stalks off in shock that he would even say that. But she was like, mom's the word because clearly you have something on me. We also really find that Elias and Helene have very different motives when it comes to the changes they discussed on the roof. And he honestly can't deal with it any further because when him and Helene were up on the roof, and she was like I would definitely change some things that's not perfect he I felt like was getting the vibe that maybe she was starting to think a little bit more like him at Mm -hmm. that 
time, clearly that's not where she was going. She was like, bitch, still a slave. Mm -hmm. You have eyes for a slave. And he was like, you need to shut the fuck up. Clearly. Problematic. Problematic. After she leaves, he's like, no, I'm going to mind your business. I'm not going to get involved. They're probably going to die in the process. They're probably going to get caught in the cave. Not going to get involved. And then as soon as they start walking, he follows. Laya and Izzy finally arrive at the festival. And it's such a cute scene, by the way, because Izzy is like standing there. She's in awe. She's like, wow, this is so beautiful. And it's so sweet because she's literally been a slave since she was like five. So she's never seen the festival before. They're going up to all these booths, trying all these different foods. Uh, Laya, I keep forgetting her. Laya's like, try these moon pies. Like, they're so good. And so they start like eating them and like Laya's eating hers, but she hasn't finished it. And Izzy's like eyeing it. And she's like, yeah, you can have it. Like, go ahead. And it's just so <laughs> cute because she's literally like a kid in the candy store. But then Izzy catches some guy watching Laya and Laya's like, yeah, I don't know him. And I'm like, y'all should be thinking stranger danger, but like, it's, it's fine, I guess, whatever. And then Keenan pops up and takes her to Mazine. She gives him all the info she knows, and he says he needs a few more weeks to try and get her brother out. He then asks her to find a secret way into Blackcliff. That isn't the one they snuck through tonight because it's not conducive to, like, a whole army. And she's like why and he's like i have a plan and that's all you need to know it's just like getting very suspicious and it's very weird after that they go back to the festival and she and keenan dance and he starts to give her a lot of reassurance and tells her that he cares about her not like lovey-dovey but he's like you're not gonna die like you're going to survive this like i know you're gonna do great and oh yeah he knew her dad her dad rescued him and took him in so he feels like he owes him. When the music stops, he tells her to get back safe and then he leaves. Elias made it to the moon festival. His perfect disguise is him without his mask. The feeling of joy and freedom emits from him during this chapter. And I live for this description of Laya. I mean, I'm like completely living. Again, I'm going to hit you with a lot of the quotes because I am just eating it up. I don't have a lot of crumbs, but I'm getting crumbs right now and I'm very happy. So he says the high necked dress she's wearing clings to her body in ways I find painfully unfair. Beneath the light of sky lanterns, her skin glows of warm honey. She doesn't even notice me, which of course makes her all the more intriguing. And my heart, it can't handle it and I love her so much. Their eyes connect and for a heated moment, we are immobile. Skies, she's beautiful. I smile at her and the blush that rises on her face makes me feel oddly triumphant. But then Keenan comes in, of course, as Brooke has just told you and asks her to dance. Elias really cracks me up because he's like, hmm, yeah, I guess he's like decently good looking. And like, I know I should just be like completely okay with this because like we're not together or anything and I'm just gonna like play cool 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 um but he's definitely shorter than me so it's fine <laughs> I hit the upper hand <laughs> <laughs> he literally says he's shorter than me <laughs> he does it's like it's like this like pissing contest I'm like okay I'm like oh my god so you said her name in the previous episode and I was like 10 out of 10 would bang but how do we feel about the tribal girl that comes up to Elias during this part of the book I wasn't sure at first but then when I found out that she was I'm not gonna say in cahoots again but that she was allied with Tulumen, I feel like I trust her I hope I can continue to trust her once they are done dancing she 
says, Ilias. I think it's Ilias because that's the name that he gives her. Mm-hmm. Ilias, your lady is free now. You must claim her for a dance. And he strides toward her. Something important that you may have forgotten to note is that she gives him a coin. And apparently in that specific tribe that she comes from, giving them a coin like that is like saying she owes him a favor. So okay. I think it's going to come to play in the next few books. Also, can I just point out that there's a lot of lust in this book for there to not be any smut in the series. Like I, like I'm hoping this is building up to like a really good smut scene, but I don't know if this author is going to give it to us. I don't know. I don't think we're going to get it. There's so much lust though. I don't know. Maybe Stop teasing me. <laughs> I'm trying to keep my expectations low. Yeah. I mean, like, I won't be, <laughs> I won't be that mad, but no, I won't be upset, but but I would love to see it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the lust does continue on in the second book. Oh my god. It's just one big tease. And I'm scared for it. <laughs> Elias, who she doesn't know is Elias, approaches her and asks her for a dance. They begin to dance and he actually starts to woo her. And he says something in his foreign language that was definitely like, I'm going to eat your ass. Ooh. And she's like, what does that mean? And he's like, I'd really have to show you. Oh my God. Yeah, like, I'm like so with you. Uh there's just too much tension for this to not follow through. <gasps> they talk for a while about intimate things in their lives, still unknowing who she's actually talking to when he stops all of a sudden and says, Raid. He screams it so everyone will run and they escape into the catacombs with Izzy. Izzy realizes who he is before she does and he explains himself. He says that he doesn't like his mother and he isn't on her side and that they should do exactly as he says for them to get to safety. They run for hours in the catacombs when he hears guards. He gives them commands and they escape just barely on time. They get back to the house and she apologizes to Izzy who then just says, are you joking? I wouldn't have traded this for anything. And then I wrote here in my notes, this bitch isn't going to make it in the series. I'm just calling it now. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think she's going to make it either. She's either not going to live or she's going to turn out evil. Yeah, something's going to... Something's going to happen. Poor Izzy. She is a good target. Like I said (laughs) earlier, she's the emotional support character that gets axed for emotional pull. Or she's evil. Elias shows up again and gives her the blood root serum, but he hears his mother coming down the hall and tells her to push him away and fight him. He pretends to be forcing himself on her in front of his mom so she doesn't suspect anything. And she buys it. Wow. Okay. After that, we come into Elias's perspective where we're back with Elias and Helene and they still aren't on good terms. I'm living for it. Apparently Brooke is not. It's <laughs> been three whole days, but in my opinion, it should have been longer. Tristus and Elias talk off to the side because Helene doesn't want anything to do with him right now. And listen, I have good vibes about Tristus. I do. Good vibes about this dude. He's like- I liked him. I'm going to be the real because number one she looks like she's in love with you first of all i have four sisters and i'm the only one who can actually hold a relationship longer than a month so i'm here to tell you what that looks like my good sir and right now i am seeing the proof and then elias basically has a panic attack essentially and it continues to roil until we see them again we find out that after Afya, Ara, Nur. I'm just that girl who danced with Elias. That is a that is a name I'm going to bur- butcher until my grave, and so I'm just gonna say that tribal girl because Can I we cannot. Call her Ara. Ara. Her like, middle name. Yeah. 
Yeah, we can call her Ara. That's simple for us, hopefully. All right. Ara works with Spiro at his shop. He says she is one of the most dangerous women you'll ever meet. And he also says that he regrets making weapons for the Empire and that his guilt will carry with him. But he also says that there are two kinds of guilt. One that drowns you until you're useless and one that fires your soul to purpose. He then tells her that he's only pretending to make weapons for the commandant, the commandant, so that she won't harm Lya. He says that he might even try to get her to sell her to him. But she says no because of her brother, because he's going to be executed. Spiro says that's not possible, or he'd be in central prison, and he's actually been moved. Again, this information is too overwhelming for her, and she runs away. This is like the third time she's run away from this dude. Yeah, which... Honestly, is not the dude that she needs to be running away from. Right? As far as we know, so far. As far as we know. He's our he's our T Uncle Iroh, okay? We biased. <laughs> <laughs> she runs into Keenan and he expresses that he's suspicious of Mazine, finally, for some reason, but he doesn't know what it is yet that's off about him. He tells her that her scar is beautiful and makes her brave. It's a sign that she survived, which is sweet. I did like this. I will I did say. Too. She goes back home and Cook tells her to question the resistance. She also tells her to quit getting Izzy involved because they might torture info out of her. And then says, stupid girl, the resistance never saves anyone they can leave behind. Ooh, she be spitting fire. Like if, <laughs> what is that saying? Um, Spitting facts. No, no, no. If you can't, if you can't take the heat in the kitchen, something, get out. Oh, I don't know. No, you never heard that? No. Oh, okay. Well, it would be a really great um, thing to say right now, but I can't say it because I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't take the heat, that's all I got. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Oh, okay. I've only heard the first part. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. You just move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They stake out by the gates watching for someone to leave, and instead they see the twins who head into one of the training buildings. Lya follows them, but when she reaches the building, no one is inside. So Izzy stakes out the next night and figures out how they are escaping. Elias's panic continues. I mean, shit, he just found out that his best friend, long-term, is in love with him. And he acts like he didn't know, but again, I find that really hard to believe with, like, the very first chapter we have with Elias, okay? Like, boy, take a seat. I don't like liars. I'm trying to keep you on my good side and you are in one of my ultimate ships, so don't ruin it for me. And it affects him so much. He's getting his ass kicked in training. He says, in addition to Helene, there is someone else crowding my thoughts. Laya. The fall of her hair and glow of her skin. I smile at how she laughed when we danced with a freedom of spirit I found exhilarating. I remember how her eyes closed when <laughs> how her eyes closed when I spoke to her in Sahiz. Woo! Me too. PMYPT. <laughs> PMYPT. Helene interjects his thoughts and they start battling it out. She bests him finally. I'm like, shit. I've been waiting for this, Helene. Okay. I'm tired of her getting her ass beat. I'm ready for her to kick ass. Okay. And they are so close. I think that they are about to kiss. And I am pissed, especially because one of the last things he took his hand and was bringing her closer. And I was like, you cheating. You cheating on what I have already ex accepted. But it but was a little manipulative, if you think about it. 
because when he was like, he was like, should I kiss her? This will ruin things with our friendship. But also like, I need her to win to be emperor so she can set me free. So maybe I should just do what she wants. So she likes me again. It was like, it was kind of actually in love with her. And yes, it's manipulative, which makes me feel bad for Helene. Right. But then, yeah, anyways, I'm just glad (laughs) it didn't happen. But they hear a scream and stop. I do want to put in a trigger warning real quick here in the podcast. Trigger warning is going to be talking about rape. It's we're not going into depth about anything, but please skip the next minute if that is something that is personally triggering for you. The escape route that Izzy found the twins going through was a hidden door in the bricks of the walls in a hallway. They open it, but from within, they hear the voices of the twins. Marcus sneaks up behind them and tries to grab Izzy, but Lia pushes her out of the way, and Marcus begins beating her and tries to rape her. Zach doesn't stop him. And I was really mad. I mean, obviously, I was mad, but I was really disappointed in Zach because you kind of see throughout this book that he has more of a conscience than his brother and he kind of wants better things for the empire and he wants to treat other people better but when it comes to his brother he kind of turns a blind eye and I think that that's maybe his Achilles heel I mean it's definitely his his downfall yeah literally and Zach doesn't stop him he just walks away and I was really disappointed Lia screams and falls unconscious. He rolls out from underneath Helene and runs toward the scream. Izzy is frantic and standing there begging for help. Marcus is about to rape Laia. Elias beats the absolute shit out of Marcus and Helene turns to him and says, it's the command. It's the come on. How do you, how I forgot. Commandant. (laughs) It is the commandant's slave, your friend, Laia. They take her to cook and tell the... Com- I can't say her name anymore, guys. I'm sorry. I tried. I did it all first podcast. I can't say it anymore. They take her to cook and tell the sea lady, but nothing can be done. Elias begs Helene to heal her and she flat out says no. When they part, a line is drawn in the sand. Wow, that was so hard to say her name now. <laughs> I'm like, mm, no, it's not coming out anymore. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> We're on part two. We're on part two. (laughs) Lia wakes at night in her bed with Cook and Izzy standing over her. Then Helene enters and starts singing. She ends up healing her. This next chapter is just a little oof on all parts. I'm concerned for all the characters in this next little bit. But Helene heals Laia. But at the same time, she really gives Elias a piece of her mind being like, it'll never work between the two of you. She is a slave. And like, oof, Elias spoke a little bit too quickly here because he's like, she's not the problem. You are because you're in love with me and you are letting it ruin our friendship. And I can never be in love with you. You're just like every other mask. Mm. And of course, he finds out that she healed her and it's too late to take back what he said. Yikes. Yikes. It turns out the commandant isn't mad about them sneaking out because Izzy lies for them and she believes her 
because Izzy has never lied to her before, which now that I'm thinking about it is another red flag. The fact that Izzy somehow convinces this brutal woman of something that, you know, you would think that they would get punished for very easily. It just seems a little off. She meets with the resistance again and questions Mazine like Cook told her to. He says that her brother is in Becker prison and Becker provides backup guard to Backcliff. So when they launch the surprise attack on the school, the soldiers will pour out of the prison, leaving it open for them to rescue her brother. She tells them about the tunnel but he says that's not enough. And I'm like, what the fuck is even enough then? She's given him more than enough information for him to just literally pay her back in some way. It was never going to be enough. It was never going to be enough. And he demands more in a few days or she's failed her task. Keenan is also very suspicious at the moment of Mazine. But I'm like, are we taking his suspicion for him just already knowing what's going on? Like, I don't know. Yes, because later on, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like whatever he says, don't believe him, because he knew. Yeah. The next battle is upon them. Shit is about to get real. A fight to the death, four teams led by each of the contestants. Elias off the bat refuses to fight to the death, refusing to kill the very people he grew up with. But his team was dying, begging him for the order in the end because they were not going to make it. And then he finally wields it. Tristus, dead. His lover, left behind. Zach, apparently killed by his brother in this scene. Wish I would have saw that. Helene and Elias prepare to face off. He is screaming in his mind to let her kill him. But in the end, he won't. He tears the dagger from his chest, blood roaring in his ears, and brings the blade down on her. This is where I think that Elias is definitely morally gray and a little selfish, but who wouldn't be in this situation? You know, when it comes down to life or death, for not only your own men, but for yourself, it's hard not to act out of instinct. And I'm not speaking from experience, but, you know, out of the numerous books that I've read where this kind of, it kind of comes down to this moment, it it seems like it would be something very hard. And I can't imagine going up against like my guy best friend and being like, well, it's you or me. And then that instinct kicks in. I don't blame him, but it would definitely be extremely hard. And it was definitely something that was very bone chilling to me. Not going to lie. I mean, he tried. Everyone else was against him, but he tried. And Helene, she didn't hesitate. No, she did not. She gave that order and he was like, no, I'm not going to give the order. And then finally he had to because his men were going down. Super intense. Which I think makes him a better leader than her when it Mm -hmm. comes down to it. Laya gets back and does the commandant's hair before she leaves and then does some cleaning around the house while Cook tells a story. And this is Cook's tea sipping queen moment. We Mm -hmm. always have one of these characters in every single book. And in this one, it's Cook. So I already know that Jada stands. I stand. I am with this character. (laughs) So basically, she tells her the story of the djinn. These were creatures that were incredibly intelligent, and the scholars wanted their knowledge, but they wouldn't give it up. So, in result, the scholars joined with the Fae to form the coven that tortured them for the information that they wanted. When the djinn didn't give them the knowledge, even still, they were so mad that they were like, well, if we can't have the knowledge, then no one can. 
and I guess we'll kill them all. And I was like, that is such a barbaric way of thinking, but all right. And they created what is called the star, which is a weapon they use to trap the djinn in trees. I did not get this part. I don't either. I feel like the djinn are going to make a comeback at some point because they're they in the trees. Like they're not dead. They're just in the trees. <laughs> <laughs> they still up there. <laughs> they still there. Just hanging on by a limb. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Anyways, the fae were scared of the scholars at this point they were like oh shit what have we done like this was a bad choice and they fled however the coven missed one Jen, the Nightbringer, who plagued mankind whenever and wherever he could. He allied with the scholar's enemy, the Marshals, and after a few generations, the scholars finally fell to the Marshals. But apparently, he's still watching and waiting to enact his full revenge. Which, this seems like a very like dark bedtime story if you ask me it feels like a really scary dream and like the parents are trying to calm down their child or like they're like trying to freak out their child by tearing, telling a scary bedtime story however unfortunately for them it's reality cook then says open your eyes to it or you'll end up like your mother nightbringer was right in front of her and she never even knew it I think this is going to parallel. This is why I think it's Keenan. Me too. She goes on to say, he infiltrated the resistance, took human form, and posed as a fighter. Got close to your mother, manipulated and used her. Your father caught on. Nightbringer had help. A traitor. Actually, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm sure. (laughs) Like, you're sure that it's Keenan? I feel like I'm sure now. <laughs> like, well, like even the fact that Keenan was like, yeah, I loved your dad. Like he took me in. Like he did. Like he's, tr- he's like trying to be like, I loved your dad and your dad loved me. Except that like, that probably wasn't actually the case. Probably not true at all. And, and he's this- an orphan. Oh my gosh. Running up too, too good. Like, like he was, he wasn't like, Oh, I have parents. There's like no one that she can go to to back up the story because he's an orphan conveniently. Wow. And the Nightbringer has already previously infiltrated the resistance. So who says he can't do it again? Right. But then Cook begins stuttering and falls over. This is something that keeps happening reoccurringly every time she starts talking about the past and the resistance and everything that's happened. And I'm like, what is going on here? It seems... Like, it's just getting darker and darker. I know. Laya then goes to the commandant who's calling for her. She's standing at the door with the augers. She's the one, they say. They grab blindfold and throw her into a room. Motherfucking Helene. She's still alive. (laughs) (laughs) You sound so excited. Take a shot every single time I start off my part with... Helene's still alive. <laughs> she got the motherfucking forbidden vest on basically gifting her ability to stay alive by the Augustuses. So she's technically not disqualified. How convenient. <laughs> Helene-, <laughs> Helene is in her room recovering. And Elias tries to go see her because he does feel guilty because homeboy like would have killed her for sure. 
which you know what I am glad that she is alive because I honestly would not want to deal with his guilt true so on that note the physician rushes him off says she's not ready for visitors but Kane finds Elias and tells him that he has a prize for winning his trial and to go wait in his room no one will disturb him which is also really fucked up because Elias was like I don't deserve a prize for this trial like are you kidding me and I don't blame him like why would you want a prize for killing your friends poor guy it's just fucked anyways back in Elias point of view the cell opens her blindfold falls Elias is standing there but she's not a prisoner like she thought she is his prize The door is bolted behind them and he's free to do with her whatever he pleases. But he ensures her that he's not going to hurt her. He unties her and gives her a dagger. He goes to shower and then comes back. They sit on the bed and he tells her his life story next to the fire. It's getting a little steamy at this point. Mm -hmm. Tension is there. She tells him that her parents are dead and her brother's in a death cell in Becker. This is important. He says... There's no death cell in Brecker and says that the school doesn't need to be guarded by the guards in Becker because it's got over 300 trained assassins. Oof. Uh Uh-oh. Oof. The pieces are starting to kind of like come together in her mind. And then Elias tells her of his true intentions about how he hates being a mask in the marshals and how he was going to desert. She begins to see him as more of a human. He then tells her of the third trial and wishes he didn't survive because of the guilt. But she tells him what her grandma had always told her, that there's hope in life. Well, this lights the fire on both their panties. (laughs) Truly, like she she takes off his mask. She thinks that it's going to be like this sultry, like seductive act, but she takes it off and there's literal like spikes on the other end of the mask and like his face is bleeding. And she's like, let me just put that back. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, yeah, this was not what I intended. (laughs) Put it in reverse, (laughs) reverse, reverse. But then they start making out. It's like a question mark. Like he's got blood running down his face. She's kind of like, like, does she think that's hot? Like, I don't, I'm not sure what's going on here. But I was like, I was here for the minimal amount of spice that we got. And it's really not even spice. I think spice. it was the emotion. It's like, it seasoning. Felt emotional. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. seasoning. It's not seasoning. spice. <laughs> but then they stop and he apologizes. They start talking about the trial again. And she tells him the thing that Spiro said to her about guilt, about how one type of guilt can paralyze you and the other can propel you. They then talk until dawn before they leave and go their separate ways in the morning. I love this so much. (laughs) I do. I love it when authors just like force two people in one room with a bed, no way out with a bed and either force them to fuck or talk about their feelings. Honestly, like, it happens a lot. And I think it's just so great. I'm glad that they just kind of talked because honestly, I know, shocking for me to say that, but I am glad that they just talked because I felt like they grew within each other. They got to know each other a little bit more, whereas they kind of had this like really guarded idea of themselves. 
No, I agree. Like, I'm glad they got to just talk because for me, it was like, okay, I'm in the headspace of Laia and then I'm in the headspace of Elias. And like, I really want them to come together and realize that truly they're on the same side at the end of the day. And I think in this moment, they kind of figure it out. Her touch haunts him. The expression in her eyes, the way she arched into him, he realized she wanted him to. He remembers their kiss, the freedom and clarity he received with it. He finds Helene later and they talk about what had happened on the field, but they are farther apart than they have ever been. He does not want to cross that line ever again. He tells her his secret of wanting to desert, but before they can even talk about it, they get interrupted to participate in the final trial, the test of loyalty. Laya gets back to the house and tells Cook and Easy, Izzy, what happened. But the confidant overhears her saying that nothing happened. And she gets suspicious. The confidant tells her that she knows she's a spy. And that she herself has spies even in the resistance. Another red flag. Red flag. (laughs) Red flag. She begins her threats on how she will torture her until her end. When an auger, auger, whatever, shows up and demands Laya. The confidant says, no, you will not take her, but they take her anyways. While heading there, Helene is repeating to him, if you don't win this, everything will be lost. She then looks at him and says, the commandant is late. And he looks at her and says, she is right on time. Laya is being dragged in. The rules, whoever executes her first wins. Mm. He screams in protest, but the Augustus bitches, they repeat the punishment for that failure will be death if he refuses to, what is the word? Comply. If he refuses to comply. Are you trying to say augers? Yeah, I, the augers equal Augustus people. Okay, I was like, what am I missing here? It took me a second. I'm tired of saying augers because like, it's hard for my mouth to say. My drinky brain was trying. I was like, did I miss something? What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's hard for my mouth to form it. So I'm just going with what I can say at this point. So once they give the go for her execution, Elias's body thinks before his mind does, and he begins to protect her at all costs. Helene is pleading with him and even says like, bitch, I will do it my damn self. But he says, if you want to kill her, you'll have to kill me first. But the sound of a thud behind him gave into his worst fear. It was too late. Laia is dead. And Marcus was the one to do it. And now Elias will be executed what like highly respected trained assassins are them for them to like not even notice that marcus has gotten up and has like gone all the way past him to this girl and stabbed her i just like what i don't know i guess it's too personal for them at this point and they're not used to their personal affairs being on the battlefield and now they're fighting against themselves that's probably what it is that's fair, but I was just like, come on, guys. She's like, not a good excuse. <laughs> <laughs> An auger whispers to Laia, if you wish to live, 
then let them think you're dead. Come to find out. I mean, did you think that she was dead? No. Yeah, same. No, they, they weren't. They weren't. It blind. was dramatic, but we knew she wasn't dead. Yeah. I mean, she's on the cover of the next four Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they weren't pulling anyone. <laughs> the auger is actually the one who's been impaled, letting her blood drip onto Leia and carries her limp body away. You are full, Leia, full of life and dark and strength and spirit. You are in our dreams. You will burn for you are an ember in the ashes. That is your destiny. Being a resistant spy, that is the smallest part of you. That is nothing. Oh my God, I get chills. (laughs) The fact that they said it to both of these people makes me think that they're going to be like pivotal in this storyline, but I just cannot get over the fact that they told Elias that he's going to be darkness. Oh, I hate that because I feel like he has the most potential out of anyone. And his storyline is the one I'm most invested in, to be honest. I'm invested in both of their storylines pretty equally. I mean, like, I don't want her to die. That's not what I'm saying, but I found, <laughs> I found Elias. I don't think like you, Jada. <laughs> <laughs> I just found Elias's a lot more interesting. To each their own, BB. <laughs> to each their own. The auger then takes her to the resistance. Keenan tries to get her to flee before, before Mazine sees her, but it's too late. She tries to tell him of the secret path into the school that Elias has told her about, but he says he doesn't care and wasn't stupid enough to attack the school of masks. He then tells her it's been a trick all along. He wished to be rid of her, so he sent her where he was sure she would die because he didn't truly have the men to complete her task. And Sana's men were rising against him. But then she started giving him information and she let the one thing slip that set the fate of her brother with the resistance. The emperor coming to Sarah. They instead used their men to kill him instead of getting her brother free and tells her that her brother isn't in Becker and that it is no use trying to rescue him because he has been sent to cough. I hope that's how you pronounce it. He then orders Kenan to kill her, but he knocks her out and takes her away instead. When she wakes up, Kenan has given her an escape plan, but she decides she cannot leave Elias, Elias and Izzy behind. She will rescue them. I feel like we're missing a big part. Is it, wasn't this where the kiss happened between Kenan and uh, Laya? Oh, probably. I think I just swept it under the rug. <laughs> what the fuck? I was livid. Shit. All right, guys, let me bring bring you back. Jada's in- cracking open her book. She's like, <laughs> let me take you there. Let me take you there. Strapping your titties. <laughs> we along for the ride, as always. So, I mean, he smashes Mazine Man in the head, right? No. no? no. Who did he smash? Her- oh, okay. Her- That's just me drunk talking. Let me put it in reverse, Terry. All right. Reverse, reverse. <laughs> he smashes Leia in the head. And when she wakes up, like he is on her, like white on rice, like they are kissing and she's confused. And she's like, this isn't like kissing. Elias, let me tell you, my mind says something, but my body says something different. Okay. Something that you were talking about in this last section 
really is giving me some weird vibes because if we are theorizing that Keenan, I hope his name isn't pronounced Kenan. No, I'm thinking. Go on. Keenan okay. Carol. Okay. I'm all hoping. All that. All that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> Nickelodeon in like the 90s? Which one? All that. Keenan prob- and Kel- I probably wasn't allowed to watch it. Some of the other 90s shows I wasn't allowed to watch was like Ed, Ed, and Eddie, um, Courage the Cowardly Dog. What about like the Amanda show? <gasps> I, wasn't, I saw bits and pieces, but I wasn't allowed to watch it. Bitch. Bad influence. Look at me. I'm a great Cultural one. Cultural revolution. <laughs> okay, continue. You didn't get the meme, but hopefully some of y'all did. Anyways, go ahead. If Keenan, again... We think he might be the Nightbringer. As we learned through Cook, he, the Nightbringer, was really close with his mother. Now, I might be going out on a limb here. I'm not saying his mother was a cheater. I mean, her mother was a cheater. But something's a little weird, okay? If Keenan and Laia kiss, because the way he was acting, it seemed, whether he was Nightbringer or not, it felt real and like he's able he lives forever kind of it, it seems like he lives a long ass time you know i'm just getting some weird creepy vibes going on okay but but am i making halfway sense i will take yes, that yes but i think people would notice if keenan wasn't aging what if it's mazine no it's not as fun um, it's not as fun. It's not as fun. But I think people but, will notice Keenan was aging. And Keenan, it's pointed out in the books that he looks extremely young. But I think Keenan can be whoever he wants to be. That's the thing. I think but, the Nightbringer form is different. He can change into whatever he wants to be. So you think he looks young to possibly Lia, but looks older to everyone else? It could be that. Yeah. He can change his appearance. <sighs> He's not restricted. I don't, I don't, I don't like the fact that she's possibly kissing the guy her mom might have possibly kissed. I mean, that's some fucked up shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I like, 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 I like Laya's dad. (laughs) And I haven't even met him. I do. He gets protective. I mean, right. But like, here's the thing. Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to make these connections here. Maybe I'm going a little too far, but this is what I'm saying. I like where you're going, but I don't at the same time. Yeah, I don't like where I'm going either. That's just where my brain went. No, I think those are really good connections. But at the same time, like if I was kissing the same dude my mom was, I would off myself. Or, you know, it it might not have even been that. Because remember, Cook also said that the Nightbringer was in front of her her mom's face this entire time they could have been really close hear me out the Nightbringer, maybe it could have been a one-sided situation too i'm not saying her mom's a cheater you know i don't want to put that on laia but you know what i'm saying no i don't what are you saying if he was obsessed with her mother and Mm. played into her hand and she didn't turn for him to the dark side what if it's sauna i'm getting really star warsy i have i realized this you're getting star warsy what if it's sauna sauna what about sauna i don't know i'm just i'm suspicious of everyone at this point if at this point we, it's izzy Ma- <laughs> <laughs> mazine is the obvious answer so i don't think it's him 
Keenan, I could definitely seeing it being him because it would be this emotional, like, oh my God, you, you betrayed me. Like I never saw this coming kind of trope sauna, but, but sauna is kind of this chick in the background, right? Like she's like, I'm always on your side, Laya. Like I'm trying to stick up for you. I'm trying to save your brother. I'm trying to do the right thing. And Mazine has locked her away according to Keenan for whatever reason because maybe the author is trying to make us think like, oh, Mazine's the bad guy. So he's locking Sana away because she's really the good person. But what if Mazine, like we don't know his true intentions and he's really the good guy. He's locking Sana away because he's starting to see it. I think that's a possibility. However, as of right now, I have more insight than you because of the second book. Mm, That's true. And there's some uncanny shit. And I, I really think Izzy is not a good character as well. I don't know. I, There's I'm some very- things happening right now in the second book that's a little suspicious, but I don't know. I want to like Izzy. Elias, day 32 in the chamber. Okay, he's been locked up for days. His mother... <laughs> brought up a meme I forgot about (laughs) sorry it's what my mind consists of so they ain't found me yet (laughs) (laughs) oh shit his mother pays him a visit and honestly I was gonna say the word psycho but this is the booked and boozy podcast we are explicit if you don't like this word plug your ears baby cunt She's a fucking cunt. How did I know? Because I don't like to use that word except for very specific times. Mm. Well, th- I think this time is valid. This is a valid time. She is just as much of a cunt as I thought she was. She told him how she tried to kill him in the womb multiple times. And when nothing worked, but like, you don't have to tell your fucking child that, okay? (laughs) Well, like, whatever. Like, if she had to, you know, and it was successful, but she was like, I tried multiple times. I'm like, what the fuck? This is damaging. I would have to go to therapy. (laughs) I tried three different (laughs) co-hangers. Shit. Like, I would have to go to therapy. So, yeah, she's like, I tried to kill you multiple times in the wound. And when nothing worked, (laughs) yeah, it didn't work with the cinnamon thing. Then I found a midwife. And then when I learned her craft, I killed her. Dead. (laughs) Gone. (laughs) Then, in the middle of the night, when I felt that you were coming and I was ready to abort you, I went into the cave by myself alone. I birthed you. No epidural. By myself. In the cave. In the middle of the night. Bat poop everywhere. Not a good situation to bring a baby in. And then she says, my one moment of weakness. Technically, if you really hate his father that much, it's weakness number two, but <laughs> we're going to skip past that one. All right. Your one moment of weakness was keeping him. I looked into your eyes and I was like, huh, looks like a fluffy bunny. Can't really kill it. He's not even crying. If you did cry, I totes would have killed you, but you didn't, which kept me from killing you. So instead I dropped your ass off at the nearest shaman and I scooted my booty on out of there. And then guess what? 
like the fucking plug that you are, you came back. You came back like chlamydia. And, you know, at this point, I don't know what else to do, but keep trying to kill you. And that's what I'm going to do throughout this entire series. (laughs) None of that was on my notes. (laughs) After his mom basically ripped his asshole a new one and was like, um, listen, I told you all this because I knew you would have to go to therapy after. But instead, I'm doing you a favor. I'm saving you some cash, baby. You're going to death instead. But like on the real though, he looks at her after she said all of her bullshit and says, tomorrow, I'm the one who will be set free, not you. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Thing a uh, away. <laughs> wow. Yikes. That, <laughs> that harmony was hot. Next question. <laughs> she goes to Spyro and he gives her a Tulumen blade and tells her to tell her brother to meet him in the free lands when she frees him. And I was kind of pissed off. I was like, you're a grown ass adult who can forge these amazing weapons. Like clearly you got these special skills and you're just going to go run off and be like, I'll see you there. Like, peace out. Going to wait for you in the freelance. Like you're not going <laughs> to even be like, oh yeah, Leia, like I'll help you go free your brother. It's not like he meant something to me. Well, like leave it up to the kids again. Technically he's pretty valuable. So if he dies, like everything they've ever worked for is screwed. But like once again, the adults leave it up to the literal fucking children. Well, of course, the it's, a, it's apparently a YA novel, so that's what's gonna happen. Even though like they're adults, minus how old is Leia? Seventeen. Everyone else is like twenty. <laughs> I was, yeah. I mean, I was gonna say like nineteen. Yeah. Uh, every, everyone else is in their twenties. I mean, like it just pisses me off when they're like, nobody can save the world except for these three children, and I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter, Sabrina, like, here we go again. She then goes back to the house and meets with Cook and Izzy, who think that she's dead. They're, like, literally crying. They're like, oh, my God, she's dead. And then they're like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, imagine, like, you – imagine, like, I die and you just, like, walk into a room and I'm standing there. I think I would first ask you if you were real. And then if you said yes, I would say, okay – so are we taking this party down to hell or what? <laughs> Looking at the Ouija board. <laughs> when we, is the party start now? <laughs> <laughs> like, I missed you, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Am I dead too? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Laya tells them her plan and Izzy says she will escape with them, but Cook decides to stay behind. And I was like literally so upset. I was like crying. I wasn't crying, but I was crying on the inside. Same, but Cook is a bad bitch. So Cook is a bad bitch. She's a bad fucking bitch. Marcus comes to get Elias on the day of his execution. He says to him, Still listening to my mother, I see. You'll always be her lapdog. 
Marcus tries to say piss off, but then Elias goes in for the burn. So hot, we're heading into a third degree and says, so what you're saying is you cheated and you barely even won. Well done. Marcus tries to land a blow, but Elias gets the upper hand. His little guards ain't got nothing on him and holds a blade to his throat and says, I'm not going to kill you. I just wanted you to know that I could. Now, take me to my execution, Emperor. Big dick energy. That was the biggest of dicks of energy I've, I've, I've seen in a while. Ah, right? It's, it's overwhelming. It's massive. And you extra, don't like big dicks? I don't, but it's extra large. <laughs> with fries on the side. Fries are on the side with this one. They cost extra. <laughs> That's the main course. The main course. You gotta pay extra for them fries because it take up the whole plate. The whole plate. He's up on the stage for his execution. Helene makes no eye contact, even though he is pleading with her to at least look him in the eyes when she does this. She tells him to kneel. The steel is biting onto the back of his neck. What Elias doesn't know is that Laya has placed herself underneath the execution stand and sets off a literal bomb. I was like, okay, bold. I didn't see this coming like I should have when she was talking to Cook and been like, you, you remember everything? Like you got all the materials and Cook was like, yeah, I got you, bitch. I should have seen this coming, but I didn't. There's a reason it- why she was placed in the kitchen. Bomb? Because she knew how to cook the bombs. She's good with her ingredients. You know what? That's the truest thing I've ever heard. It's not just one bomb that gets set off. It's many exploding all over the school, but not to kill, just to knock everyone unconscious to serve as a diversion. She is going to save Elias. An explosion erupted and Elias had thought that he died. Screams filling his ears, but a familiar pair of gold eyes looked at him. She says, you're not dead. Not yet anyway, and neither am I. I'm setting you free. He looks at her and says, what's the price? And she tells him that I saved your life to get us out of Black Cliff, to guide me to the cough prison and help me free my brother. And when he hesitates, she says, decide. Like, honestly, they're about to die, so I get the urgency. But also, I'm living for this Laya. She is like <laughs> taking the control. I'm like, I've been waiting for you this entire book, girl. I am so excited that you're here. So she's like, listen, decide there is no time. And he swears to help her. They're on the run and he realizes the damage she has done. Like, he's like, yeah, so like, why, why is there still bombs going off? (laughs) And she's like, oh yeah, I did that. And he's like, wow, I really underestimated this girl. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) She adjusts her glasses. Impressive. (laughs) And motherfucking Helene. She here, <laughs> of course. I liked this moment. I did too. I'm just being dramatic. So 
<laughs> like always. She told him that Cain kept his vow. He said, if I swore fealty and held it, that you would live. Marcus ordered me to swear my loyalty, so I did. He ordered me to swing that axe at your head, and here you are still alive. I mean, shit, she's got some really hardcore faith in the cult shit, okay? A little <laughs> a little more than she needs. I mean, she literally almost axed off his head. Like, his head would have been gone. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, he is alive. Not really thanks to you. If it wasn't for Laia's ass, just planning this shit. But if you think about it, the augers, they made her swear and said that he wouldn't die. Okay. Then the augers also set Laia free, knowing that she would come back more than likely and save Elias. Because that's the only way he was going to live in this situation. No one else would be coming for him. Who would? She finally says, go, I'll cover you for the last time. But after this, I belong to him. Remember, Elias, after this, we are enemies. Elias and Laia head to the catacombs to escape. Their journey, far from over, but it doesn't matter. For now, these steps are enough. These first few precious steps into darkness. I like the wording in this, into darkness, into the unknown, into freedom. Into the unknown. No, I hate it. I hated Frozen 2. I was, I dressed up as Elsa and went to birthday parties as Elsa before she fucking died. And if you've seen the theories on Frozen 2, it's like apparently she died and she's a fucking ghost. And I, I didn't understand any part of Frozen 2. But anyways, this episode is not about Frozen 2. <laughs> Drink every time I say Frozen 2. How drunk um, are you? How drunk are you? Maybe oh, I'm six? literally just like a 5.5, maybe a 6. Okay, I was close. <laughs> <laughs> but I was kind of pissed at Helene at this moment because I was like, yeah, the augers are like, you need to serve Marcus or whatever to save... Elias's life okay well that debt's been paid fuck Marcus like what else do you think you're gonna accomplish obviously I haven't read the next few books and her serving Marcus could serve Elias and Laia well somehow that I'm not foreseeing but to me it's just kind of like dump his ass and leave with the people that you know are serving the right purpose you know what I mean I do I was pissed I was pissed too, but it's all she knows. She's very like type A Ravenclaw, like go by the book. Yeah. I am just so shook because here are my thoughts. You know how the augers both told them that they are ember in the ashes. Clearly to the augers, their fates, their destinies are connected somehow. Mm -hmm. And essentially... The augers said that Elias, if he didn't conform to them and he didn't become the emperor, he would be led into darkness. <sighs> he is the darkness. But then in this last line, it says with him and Laia, but it doesn't matter for now these steps are enough. These first few precious steps into darkness. No, no. I don't know if it necessarily, 
I don't know how much of a play on words this is. I think that the author did this on purpose, but I feel like, I mean, they are a hundred percent faded together, whether it's going to be a good or a bad outcome, but yeah, I, I think agree. this is significant. I agree. I'll keep it in mind. I hate it though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bitch, let's get on to the discussion. All right, you go first. Okay. Um, as always, I don't have much to discuss. Number one, I can't discuss much because I already know things from the next book and I will high key accidentally spoil it. Bitch, you got to stop doing that. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's like asking me to not breathe air. So you know, but think about how good our discussions would be if you didn't just like read ahead. Well, I do it for the pod, do it for the pod, mm, do it for the vine, do it for the pod to do things that I don't think I can do. It doesn't align with my values and I don't have to start lying to you. <laughs> oh my God. No, 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 no. You just got to like finish a book and then start a Netflix. No, series don't know how to do. No. I've given you so many good Netflix series and you no. won't start them. And I'm like, I'm low key pissed. Like you need well, to start a new girl. I don't want to hear it. I watched her fucking Firefly. What what was it called? Wings. The Wings Club. I watched her Wings Club. I haven't even watched that yet. And I didn't tell you to watch it. You well, just you did talked that. about it on your TikTok. So I went and watched it like the good friend that I am thinking that you were already watching it. Okay, well, I still need to watch that. But you need to watch Lucifer and New Girl, two shows that I have watched and I know that are good. And then so did I not we'll watch, watch Bridgerton after you watched and stop reading ahead of me so we can have good discussions on the podcast. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. um, number two, I hope I don't end up liking the Nightbringer because that would be some shit that I would do a thousand and ten percent. We kind of already talked about it and I probably won't like him. But like, what if I do? I'm scared for myself. I'm scared for you, too, because I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. If. OK, point number three. If Elias and Laya don't end up together, why am I reading this? Because this book is good no matter what. I, 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 <laughs> I'm, okay, look, I'm here for the romance and I'm excited for them to maybe finally get together and like start their band of exiles or whatever and have their little enemies to lovers trope. But like, I honestly, I'm here no matter if the romance is there or not. This plot has reeled me in personally. It's a great plot, but speak for yourself <laughs> just like your fucking love triangle shit but anyways as i was saying i don't care like okay no not that i don't care i would like to see them end up together but i am so invested in this plot like this author did such a good job that like even if the romance doesn't work out i'm here for this plot and i need to know what happens regardless wow you were so amazing so above me for loving the plot of the book and um being so high key intelligent while my ass is like <laughs> enemy me this lovers <laughs> or i'm not reading this <laughs> oh that's sad i think it's gonna be enemies to lovers and then one of them's gonna die i really I'm, think that's, that's i really hope one of them doesn't die i am being dramatic but i don't know i'm being dramatic i know i am but sometimes I want to be. Is that okay? That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brooke, hit me with your discussion, babe. All right, I've got a lot per usual. 
if Jada didn't ever read the rest of the series like she normally does, maybe we'd have more discuss on her end too, but that's okay. Anyways, <laughs> my first point is Darren and whatever he was doing has to live with the fact that he got his grandparents killed and left his sister alone for the rest of his life, even if he is saved. How do you feel about that? I feel really bad for Darren. I really do. Also, I can, I will never be able to get that scene out of my head where he's on his knees screaming like in anguish because they're running after his sister. Me too. I will never be able to unread that. I just, I feel like if I was Darren and like, it was my fault, my grandparents were killed. I don't think I could live with myself. I don't think his grandparents would view it that way, but it does actually suck. Like suck high key. You know, maybe they'd forgive him, but it is his fault. It is his fault. I'm keeping my thoughts to myself because again, I read the next part of the book. So far, I think it's his fault. Maybe it's not. (laughs) (laughs) My second point, what is in the fucking sketchbook besides these weapons? Because I feel like the, not the resistance, the marshals would be like why are they so pressed about his sketchbook like he's drawing some guns why is that important i know but i can't tell you ah fucking damn it okay next (laughs) point we talked about this earlier is her mom alive i don't fucking know i hope not i hope not too but at the same time that would be the plot twist of the century i don't want her she can stay dead why does cook begin to stutter when she starts talking about the resistance you know, I don't know. I almost wonder if somebody's cursed her or if it's so traumatic she just goes into this PTSD state. It seems like it's trauma, but I'm not sure. Oh, what if? What if? Okay, this is a reach. This is okay. a very far reach. Okay. What if Cook is somehow Lia's mom? This is a reach. But what if she's been to forget? I love your brain. Um... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> she's been conditioned to forget, and that's why she stutters. She gets too far in. Like every time she starts talking about Lia's mom, she starts. And her st- face is scarred. But like, what if like Loki? We don't know that like this one is like a white woman, and like does is not even like the same skin color. So like, they definitely wouldn't even be right. Like, what if she has literally been cursed or something, and is like, I hate. Lia's mom I hate the lioness she was terrible but what if they were like what if they all the resistance realized that the lioness was terrible what if they realized that she was a traitor and they cursed her to go live with a confidant for the rest of her life unknowing of who she was Mm. oh my god it's so weird how she was like and the nightbringer was right under her nose and she didn't even know it right very personal yeah, I'm seeing how you can think that. I don't think it's as far as a reach as you think it is. God fucking damn it. I don't know. We don't we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My mind is being blown right now. Okay, moving on. Do you think we will see Cook again on that note? Because she says that she's not going to go with Izzy and Laya and Elias forward and she's going to stay with the confidant. Do you think we'll see her again? If she's... Laya's mom will definitely see her, but if you want me to tell you, okay, so that's yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's badass too. Okay, anyways, next. (laughs) What role do you think the Nightbringer will play in the upcoming books? 
I just realized something from the second book that plays really well with your theory. Okay, continue. Sorry. What if the Nightbringers are dead? Then that's fucked up because that's some Cassandra Clare shit. That's not something that we need to bring into this aura, this safe why, space. Why would that be some Cassandra? Oh, well, if it's Keenan. If it's Keenan, then it's some Cassandra Clare shit. But I'm not saying that it's Keenan. Okay. okay. The Nightbringer's not Keenan, but it's her dad, and she had no idea. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I'm really nervous to realize what you're like. Oh my gosh, my revelation. Hold on to that. Please hold on to that. I so will. Talk about it. I have here, what if Keenan is the secret spy that the confidant has in the rebels? And then I also have, what if he's the Nightbringer? We've already talked about that. Um, and then I said, I'd rather read a book this way than have to read a separate book in another person's point of view, like Midnight Sun or Hades point of view in the A Touch of Darkness books no shade to any of these authors like i i appreciate the way that they've gone about these books because i think that's personal to them however me as a reader i would just personally rather read a book that has someone's point of view already tagging along with the other main character's point of view as well so i don't have to read something all over again i agree with you i hardly ever read separate characters point of views I just don't want to read the same thing all over again. So if it's in the same book, then I don't mind it. Right. And my last point, what is Helene? My theory is that she is possibly a siren. I don't know if they necessarily have sirens in this world, but she's definitely like some type of like, obviously she's a healer. I just don't know if I would call her a siren because I don't think that that's the wording that the author is going to choose to use that's fine it was just like why the singing I may have, okay. might let's go ahead and move into how drunk are you i'm like a two i feel good about it though i'm happy to be a two how drunk are you i'm like a five to six good saying that i'm probably a 5.5 your so alcohol is also stronger than mine. Because remember, you said yours was like, what? Mine's 12%. 12%? I mean, this yeah. is only 4.8. I know I've had like four of them, but. Yeah, I mean, I mine's still... 12 and 8, 12%. Yeah. So yeah, I'm like a, I'm like a 5.5. Yeah, girl. How do you yeah. rate the book? I'm getting my night voice. I don't know if like people can tell on the podcast regularly when we get to the second part and like the end of the episode, I get like a deeper like raspier voice and for some reason like even when I was in high school like this is the voice that comes out at night I don't know why but it does so this is my night voice just so y'all know how do you rate the book Jada I rate I'm gonna go ahead and rate the book a five out of five I don't care if you bitches think I'm generous I really don't because I think this series it's going to end up being a five out of five across the board. So I don't want to rate it anything less. How would you I, rate the book? I think the series as well is going to be a five out of five across the board. However, this is not the typical book I would pick up. This is not something I would read the back and say, hey, I want to read this. And like while reading the book, it's very serious. There's no smut. It's got some very dark topics. It's very violent. You know, not saying that I wouldn't pick it up but it's not something that's like I like to have a little bit of light with my darkness and it didn't necessarily have that but I'm not faulting it for that either 
I am actually rating it a 4.5 out of five, just because of that aspect of it's not typically what I would picked up, but it pleasantly surprised me. And I really enjoyed it. Like really, really, really enjoyed it. And I like want to pick up the second one immediately. I mean, I don't think that's a bad rating. Like five out of five, it would have had everything that I wanted. It would have had a light and darkness and smut and just like blown me out of the water. This book blew me out of the water, but didn't have all the aspects I normally go for. So that's why I'm rating it. Yeah, I will say like out of my top books, you would think that they would have smut in them, but actually guys, majority of my top tier books don't have a lot of smut. Now, Hmm. my God tier level one that I just made, Air Weekends, it has smut not to the level of some books that we've reviewed on the podcast. There's definitely some in there but nothing like nothing like what we've reviewed on the podcast for sure. So yeah, most of my most of my top tier books that doesn't honestly that's not a hard fast for me, which I think is surprising to a lot of people. All right, let's wrap up the episode. If you want to reach us on our Instagram, we are Booked and Boozy Podcast. We love for you guys to send us any DMs, talk about your books, talk about what you're reading, talk about literally anything. We will respond to you. We love hearing from you guys. On our TikTok, we are now Booked and Boozy Pod. Our Twitter and Patreon are Booked and Boozy. And then finally, if you ever want to slide into our email you know our dms are open on instagram but if you want to send us something a little bit more personal don't be afraid to reach out also for any of our witching hour episodes if you have anything that you would like to discuss with we prefer you to send it to our email so that way we can save it for our episodes that is bookedandboozy at gmail.com bye bitch bye bitch